Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said many times, uh, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there for us to play these days. I mean, there are just so many games that we can spend our hobby dollars and oftentimes more rare and scarce these days our hobby time on. Um, it's hard to know what to play. And that's the purpose of this podcast, is to talk about the games that we play and that we enjoy, uh, talk about industry events, and talk to some people that help shape them. And that is one of the people that we have on today. I am. I know this gentleman came on a few months ago, uh, and I know that uh, he and I had not talked in quite a while at that point, but I am incredibly happy to welcome back an old friend of the show and an old friend of me personally. In fact, my old roommate uh, from way back when, the man, the myth, the legend. And if you heard the porkers at the beginning of this episode, you already know who it is. Dave Taylor, welcome to Cast Ice. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, it's great to be back, Brad. Oh, man, it is great to have you back. And uh, now, before we get, uh, I uh, there's so many things to talk about. But in my grubby little pause, I am holding a beautiful uh, hardback book called Armies, Legions, and Hordes, which is the Kickstarter you were backing the, or that you were putting out the last time you came on. And yep. it, damn, Dave. If this isn't a fantastic resource, like I, I listened to you talk about it and I know the quality of your work and I was so impressed um, with what you were talking about, but to actually hold it in my hand um, as a sad old hobby bastard who's been doing this for a million years, you know, I'd be like, oh yeah, I, I know what Dave's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But just opening the book, flipping through the pages, looking at the pictures, reading the the different chapters and the different sections, my hobby juices have been flowing in overdrive. This is a masterpiece. I'm so impressed. Congratulations, man. This I'm I know you put a lot of effort and time into this book, and I cannot say enough good things about it. Thank, thanks for that. Um, no, it's it. You you're completely right. I put a lot of time. A lot of time, a lot of effort in. Um, I think it's it's kind of a crazy thing because when I was talking about it last time with you, uh, and when I spent a lot of time last last year, like uh, 2018, talking to people about it, mm -hmm. uh, I had a picture in my head of what it was like, but I I often found, often found it very tough to be able to put that picture exactly into other people's heads. Mm. Um, so. I'm excited now that the book is out in the world and people are seeing it and um, they can really get a good idea of, of what I was thinking originally. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's really exciting. Very, very exciting. Yeah, man, it is. Um, I mean, it's 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 hobby treasure. It's one of those. I have got a slew of books on my shelf that I keep for um, it, I guess, inspirational purposes uh, for a rainy right. day when my hobby, you know, my hobby inspiration has died and, you know, everything stinks and it's all grim. You know, you can pull out, you know, my my collecting G.I. Joe book or, um, you know, just a, a bunch of I don't don't necessarily want to go through them all because um, they may be <laughs> embarrassing. But, you know, things that I find personally inspiring for me and, um, you know, hobby that I like to do. And this book is now 
you know, the jewel in that collection of it, it's like um, back in the day you did a series or you were part of um, the White Dwarf staff that did a series of articles on sort of updating old uh, armies. And I think the it may have been White Dwarf 200 or 300 where there was a giant it was like an oversized issue and a good chunk of it was updating armies. And I know you were a large part of that. I still have that issue on my shelf, and it is one of those things that I pull out for inspiration. And this is like that times a thousand on steroids. <laughs> yeah, the um, it, it is it is kind of like that. But that uh, issue three hundred um, that we did was was a lot of fun back in the day, and uh, I think I yeah learned a lot working working on White Dwarf and and talking. That's just been one of the things I think for um, that I was able to bring to the book was all that experience of talking to people about armies and building their armies up and revisiting them and uh, and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it was definitely cool. I, I know what you mean about having those books on the shelf. I, a lot of mine, the ones that I have for inspiration, are um, art books by people like Carl uh, Kopinski, mm-hmm. Adrian. Smith, um, but yeah, that that kind of stuff is really, it's really cool to have. It is, and you know, just to recharge the hobby batteries. Sometimes you just gotta go back to the well and uh, maybe get the go back to what inspired you in the first place. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, right on. Well, yeah. I want to talk more about this book, and I want to talk more about you know the different parts of it and everything that it includes. But before we get to that, two, I think I want to ask two big questions. One, okay. and I know we'll talk about this again later, but. I know that now the Kickstarter's out. I know a lot of people missed out on the Kickstarter, and I had a lot of people, when I posted pictures of it on my Facebook page this week, a lot of people were asking, well, can I get it commercially now? Where can people get this? Because I know it is now out in the wind. Yeah, it is. Uh, so there's a number of different ways. Um, the two uh, two key ways that are it's making its way into hobby stores are uh, through Warlord Games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, in March, it'll be making its way into, um, hobby stores in the U S through Alliance game distributors. Nice. Um, I delivered the, uh, the first sort of batch of books to them on, uh, yesterday, actually. Yeah. Oh, it up to them yesterday. Uh, so, uh, if you have a hobby store and they order from either of those sources, uh, so either Alliance or for, directly from Warlord games, they can get it through there. Uh, if you don't have a hobby store nearby or your uh, hobby store doesn't usually order from those places, uh, you can get them on, get physical books online from warlordgames.com mm-hmm. and from ironheartartisans.com. Nice. My buddy uh, Alex in uh, Tennessee, who um, I went down and he helped me basically do all the Kickstarter fulfillment for US and Canada and rest of the world so nice uh, he's got a, a nice stack of books there um alex also has the pdf version of the book as well um, nice uh yeah in, international shipping uh or even local shipping sometimes can be pretty pricey um so if you're okay with having a, a digital version um alex is your man at ironheartartisans.com there you go well, that's, I know PDFs are popular with some people because they get to quote unquote read them at work. Uh, as a primary school teacher, I will never be able to do that trick. Uh, just, you know, children around me all the time. 
Um, I don't yep. get five seconds of peace. However, uh, I was talking to somebody just this week who were saying, I love a PDF because I can sit at my desk and be looking at my computer and it'll look like I'm working and I could be reading a hobby book. And I'm going, I, God, I wish I had that. I, yeah, it, it, I've never it had that good. job. Yeah. But <laughs> if you want to read Dave's work at work, uh, yeah, Ironheart Artisans. There you go. Boom. That could be the yeah. That could so. be you. Now, Dave, I, I, I want to talk about this, but I also don't want to forget because I love the quality of your work. I love um, the conversions and the time and just the, the creative insanity that you bring to hobby projects. Um, I think if we got too far into the book, I wouldn't get to this, which is, and I, I love asking you this question, what have you been up to, Dave? Um, because I always love to hear what madness is cooking uh, in the kitchen, so to speak. Right. Um, well, uh, I, I got to admit, uh, so while I've been working on the on the book and trying sort of making sure it, it gets out there mm -hmm. and keeping in contact with the shipping companies and all that sort of fun stuff, um, I've been doing a bunch of different things, a few different um, painting commissions and so on. But uh, for my personal stuff, I've been working on uh, the Gene Steeler Cult Army. Oh, now that's interesting because that was uh, that was a bit of a challenge for you, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of weird. I've, I've come back to the Gene Steeler Cult uh, Army. Basically, uh, so yeah, like two years ago, mm -hmm. um, I put together. Uh, well, when the the cult first came out, I got excited. I bought a bunch of the neophyte hybrids, the um, acolyte hybrids, um, that kind of thing. Put those together and. Um, started painting them up, but I got probably about, uh, 20 models into it and was like, ah, I'm just not feeling it. Um, I'm not sure. I, I have a feeling that some of it, some of it was probably connected to, I wasn't really feeling seventh edition, mm -hmm. 40k at the time. Um, it just wasn't working for me. Yeah. Uh, and another part is the neophyte hybrids are absolutely beautiful models with so much detail on them. Um, and sometimes we talk about a, a model when you're painting it, uh, you start off and, it, and it's looking pretty good. Um, but then it goes through a period where it just looks, you're just not sure about it. Yeah. It looks awful. Sort of, yeah. It's awful for, for a chunk of time. Mm -hmm. And then you end and it looks great and you're happy with it. You're like, fantastic. I'm glad I started. Well, the, uh, I think the neophyte hybrids have a, a really long period of awful. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. <laughs> It's not, until, it's not until like the very end, but like the last five minutes that you go, oh, wow, wait, it's looking good. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably why I put them aside. But uh, yeah, I, I was, I got to admit, I was, I was worried. I, I felt that I had, uh, I had failed in my uh, sort of army building uh, sort of thing, my army project. I hadn't completed my project. So um, but yeah, I put them aside. And uh, actually before the, the funny thing is, um, before I wrote the book, before I did the Kickstarter campaign, mm -hmm. uh, I was messing around with all of the ideas, talking about inspiration and motivation and so on. Um, I wrote a series of articles for the uh, Beast of War website. Mm, that's right, yeah. And I uh, included a uh, one of the articles that I put up there that was not at all popular. It was, it was uh, I got some very uh, distinct sort of messages about that was um an, an article on failure um oh. what to do if you failed in a project and i used my gene steeler cult army as an example of it um 
But one of the one of the things in there was well, you put it on, put it all into a box so you can find it all at once mm. and put it on, and maybe come back to it. Um, I talked about some people have like a closet of doom or a um, yes, that's me. That sort of thing. Um, I've got a basement of doom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it, when I. When Games Workshop came back uh, with the the Gene Stiller Cole models and the Achilles Ridge Runner in particular, mm-hmm. the buggy, I was just like, "That is fantastic! I'm really excited about all of these things again." Um, so I had to tear through my basement of Doom, and it took me about 45 minutes to find that box with the uh, with the cult in it. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, so now I'm back on a on a huge kick for that, and I think I'll be able to get through and paint all of the stuff that I've. Uh, I bought since, and plus I think I've spent another four hundred bucks since they started coming out. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, I really have to. But uh, if I found the neophytes still have that long period of awful. But uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the other stuff, like the the bikes, the um, the Goliath rock grinders, uh, they they have sh- much shorter periods of awful. Nice. So. I'm happy to uh, to be getting back into those. So it's kind of like, um, even though I felt that I'd abandoned them, um, I'm excited to be able to get back and, and finish the finish this project. Yeah. I've been going through something similar recently with uh, Rick Priestley's new game, The Warlords of Erewhon. I've been absolutely adoring that rule set, um, and it's made to use all of your old um, fantasy models. So, you know, it's really if you want to use pretty much anything fantasy related, it fits in, um, but it's on a much smaller scale. So I've gotten rid of almost all my Warhammer fantasy armies, but then all of a sudden I can, I'm able to use all of the bits and pieces from failed projects from over the years or things that kind of got quarter of the way built or halfway built or not even there. And it's a full army in that game. And it's a great, it's like bolt action, but fantasy it's fantastic. And so all of a sudden I'm going, yes, all of my failed projects have come back and they all work. Yes. Um, it, so it's nice. It's yeah. good when you're uh, when you're able to do that. And it's just uh, it, it feels so so cool, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And just to go back. I mean, I pulled out literally an ogre that I painted a decade ago that I got thirty years ago, and I thought, you know, I've had this thing twenty years. I should paint it ten years ago. And now I'm actually using it in games. Going, this is really nice. And it's just. But it's that by keeping things, by keeping those half-finished, those failed projects, and, you know, sometimes you just got to clear things out. But sometimes, you know, you keep these things because you have maybe a sentimental attachment to them. A game system will come along that will give them new life. Or in your case, new models will come along and it will give it new life. Um, yeah. And, and it really is, you know, re- relighting that inspiration, which, you know, brings us back to your book, which is all about inspiration and more. So, Dave, I know between the Kickstarter discussion that you had with us and then the Kickstarter actually happening and you finishing the book and getting it out um, and pulling bits and pieces from different contributors, um, things have changed a little bit, Um, maybe only a little bit. Um, Talk to us about what people can expect. If they they have not picked up this book, um, what kind of things do you cover in it? Tell us a little bit more about it. Okay. when I explained it to uh, to a couple of friends, one of them said, "Oh, it sounds like sounds like a project management book." It is, isn't um, it? Yeah, that project management. And uh, actually, um, 
an old uh, an old friend of an old mutual friend of ours. I uh, expect um, Tony Rebitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, it like does project management and sort of as his job. Uh, and when he got the book and he was reading through and he goes, "Oh my God, I didn't even, I'd never even thought to apply project management principles to my hobby." Uh, so he was pretty uh, pretty excited to read that. Uh, but it goes through. And what I what I wanted to do with it was provide people with a, um, a whole bunch of ideas or um, points that they could uh, relate to, I guess, uh, and provide suggestions on how to move past roadblocks or how to be a bit more uh, be a bit more mindful of the process that they actually go through mm. when they're building an army. Talking about inspiration, what are what are things that where can you find inspiration and why is inspiration important? Yeah. Uh, what um, setting, setting goals, uh, why is setting goals important? What are some goals you can set or what are common ones that people work with? Uh, like getting ready for a tournament or preparing for a, a big sort of demo game at a convention or mm-hmm. a, a demo, that kind of thing. Um, looking at, uh, expectations, talking about expectations as well, because disappoint, disappointment or sort of happiness with something always comes down to whether we've met our expectations or exceeded our expectations or fallen far short. Yeah. And when we're the ones who can control our expectations, generally we're going to get to a point where we, we aren't disappointed with anything we do. Exactly. Uh, that's kind of got to be the, the approach there. Um, planning. Planning can be very important. Some people like to focus on that sort of aspect. I've got um, some buddies who do really great jobs of planning out all of their their projects. Um, I've included a section from Joel Moon, uh, who do, does the uh, Mordian Seventh uh, blog. Such a good blog, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does uh, loads of great, great stuff there. But his uh, his use of like an Excel spreadsheet to track um, progress in his army. Uh, for every project he does is just fantastic. So when I worked on uh, 10,000 points of Legio Custodes, I talked to him about um, using that spreadsheet and worked out sort of a spreadsheet of my own and and use that to keep me on track, um, keep me moving forward and keep getting, sort of getting excited when I could turn the, the square of that unit to, to green mm-hmm. and see progress being made. Uh, so things like that, that's, um, I guess like part of that's motivation as well, uh, which is covered in the book. Um, we talk about all that sort of thing and, um, the triumph, it's really yeah. the big one at the end. <laughs> yeah. The celebration at the end, but I, I really like how the, the sections interrelate. I mean, you can't, part of your expectations discussion really was focused on, um, making sure that your expectations were set. So you're happy, but also how that tied into your planning and how you need to actually set realistic expectations about, especially when you're planning things. Um, and to stay on top of that, if you have a big project, you are really working to a timeline for, um, I really, yeah. that discussion was very rich and I, 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 it's stuff I know. I mean, it's something I do professionally. Um, and it's also something that I do as part of my hobby, but to actually see it in writing really helps reinforce things, as you said, that we are already doing. Um, and it just is a good way to help refocus the way I'm mentally preparing projects for the future and not to say, yeah, I'm going to try and get, you know, two units painted this weekend. Um, whereas to have the long goal and go, okay, let's set this out. Let's make sure we're doing it right. Yeah, 
yeah it's uh it it was really tough to try and extract it it, it was but it was basically impossible to to separate everything completely yeah um, to compartmentalize everything completely but i felt it was also important like you could say well expectations isn't that just part of like goal setting or aims or whatever and it was like kind of but there are also other sort of mini goals i think that we set ourselves that are part of that expectation so i wanted to separate that out as much as i could um but yeah having those all those different aspects talking about them presenting them up sort of at the front of the book uh meant that i could bring in uh some uh, case studies is what somebody described them to me as nice. so kind of like so project management usually has case studies so you can go along and see how other people have succeeded or mm-hmm. failed or sort of how they made their way through their particular um, project and that's what I tried to do with those examples um, so I could have just presented a whole bunch of photos mm-hmm. um, but I wanted to talk about a particular aspect of uh, either what inspired me or what, uh, how planning was crucial, uh, what motivated me to keep going. Um, particularly like, I think the Legia Custodes, uh, discussion was, is primarily about motivation when you're painting like a hundred and sort of 40 models that are all gold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Get through that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And the, actually the bold action one was, uh, it was a lot of fun because I had a very, short time frame to paint a thousand mm-hmm. points uh so for that one planning and time management was crucial so that's what i got to talk about in that uh, that feature absolutely mm-hmm. and i like how when you're going through those little featurettes on each army or each project that you've gone through again you've talked about the inspiration and you've talked about sort of the process and you know some of the key elements that you found particularly maybe inspiring or conversions that you were really enjoying doing or that you did um, but I love how it covers a wide span of games. Um, I mean, you've got stuff in here from post-apocalyptic to 40 K to fantasy to generic fantasy, not Warhammer fantasy to, as you say, world war two to Napoleonics. I mean, you have all kinds of game systems in here that, um, people can really glean information from. I haven't played, as I said, I haven't played 40 K in years um but i got a lot out of just rereading the parts um about how you how you plan those projects and how you um thought creatively about how to create things that didn't look like other people's um and made made it uniquely yours i mean that's those are things you can take and apply to any game system yeah yeah definitely uh that was it was a something that i they felt was important that um i didn't just want to say uh here's a space marine uh he's an ultramarine so i painted him blue using these colors right uh that that sort of stuff has its place um for sure and there are a lot of people who do that very well i wanted the the book to have a, a different approach to it uh and 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 if somebody bought the book and they only played bolt action uh that it wasn't just the first 50 pages and the bold action section that they were going to pay attention to. Exactly. Um, I wanted it to be to all for all of it to be as valuable as possible to, to help as many people as possible um, complete their projects more often is really the thing. Mm. 
I yeah, I think that you've done a really good job of that. I especially like when you added later chapters about how to add a centerpiece to your army. I mean, how to really and you really do. I mean, it's stuff again we think about and we do all the time, but to really um open up the gate sort of and getting the reader to think creatively. I mean, you have an entire section on creating a counts as army. And um, if you don't necessarily like what's out there for a particular game, but you really like the game, this element really allows you to creatively attack any game, um, which I think is great. Yeah, I think there are there are a lot of uh, a lot of people who are very comfortable with uh, with games like uh, this is not a test, or um, mm-hmm. or will be very comfortable with something like Warlords of uh, Erewhon mm-hmm. uh, that are miniatures agnostic. So it doesn't matter, sort of, there, there are no miniatures that you have to use. Right. You can choose from any uh, any manufacturer, really, and fit them into place. But there are a lot of people who have only wargamed with, uh, I guess, that idea of proprietary miniatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nobody really makes a, uh, no, no other companies really make Skaven, for example. Right. So playing... Warhammer, you're playing Age of Sigma with a Skaven army, there's only one place you're going to go. Uh, and a lot of us sort of probably grew up in that sort of context where, oh, I'm playing 40K, so I'm going to find Games Workshop miniatures, obviously. Um, the idea of a Count Saz army, uh, you can still be playing 40K, you might be using some a, a different manufacturer's models, or you might still be using uh, Games Workshop models, but they'll be from... Uh, there'll be old Mordheim models or uh, from a di- completely different um, sort of race of uh, troopers that uh, that you want to use. Exactly. It's, it's the idea of giving that permission to explore and experiment and create something that is more meaningful for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think you do a really good job of that. And there's one section in here towards the end that I found particularly useful for my life at the moment. Um, which seems to be everything I, I seem to be doing seems to be basing and rebasing models these days. Um, and there's an entire section on that, uh, which is great. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty funny that I, that I sort of did that and got to do that. It was, it was really when Newcastle played Warhammer fantasy battles for so long, mm-hmm. uh, when GW blew up the old world and, uh, my, thousand empire model painted empire models um sort of became sort of almost immediately redundant uh it was i i got a bit salty about uh about that change oh, a lot of us did <laughs> yeah uh but over time uh and particularly with in recent years with uh with gw getting back on the ball with uh some really good solid community interaction yeah uh I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give it, give this a look. And next to my empire, my ogres were my next favorite army. And it's like, okay, if I'm going to try it, I need to, I need to jump in and make sure that I'm not pretending to try and play Age of Sigma, but yeah. I want to jump in and play it. Uh, so it was a much smaller model count than a thousand uh, mm-hmm. empire guys. Uh, so. It was, it was the one to try it with, and this was the opportunity. I put it in as a stretch goal in the campaign. Um, people chuckled, uh, and we reached that stretch goal. So it was like, okay, great. I'm going to have to 
switch <laughs> switch the bases. But um, yeah, I mean, as as you say, there's a um, there are a lot of uh, wargaming opportunities, I guess, to to be doing that, to be doing rebasing. Um, I think uh, historical wargamers, people who've always done historical wargaming, have, have probably rebased dozens of armies. Yes. Okay, switch to a new system. It might be just be you know, I'll, I'll slice all of these um, British troopers off uh, the bases, and instead of being single based, there'll be six to a base, yeah. and it'll be this frontage. And then in five years' time, they'll come out. They'll, they'll see another rule system that they like the look of, but it's four models to a base, so they'll go and rebase those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was. This was kind of. It wasn't. It wasn't the first time I've done it, but uh, it was probably one of the most meaningful things for me. Yeah. Well, to finally, finally, that uh, that salt shaker about the <laughs> the switch stage sigma. Yeah. Well, I'm loving um, that half my fantasy armies were rebased for AOS, and half of them are still on squares. And uh, for a, a wonderful minute, as you put it, a minute, a miniature agnostic game. Uh, just to keep talking about, I'm sorry, I'm loving this game. The Warlords of Erewhon thing. Um, you yep. can use squares and rounds, which I absolutely love. So I can actually play a game with rounds against squares, which I did the other day. And it was totally fine and went, ah, oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> that said, I'm looking at my old bases going, yeah, the old green flock thing's got to go. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, it can be very uh, it can be very freeing, very liberating. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Well, my favorite part of the book, um, of course, you have been an adamant, uh, adamant isn't necessarily the word, fanatical fan of um, Dan Abnett's Gaunt's Ghost series uh, since I've known you, if not a million years before that. And um, just to look at the scope and scale of your Gaunt's Ghosts and related armies, like side tangent armies, um, it's just astonishing given that there are almost no models for that range that exist. And you've, you know, you've counts as, or you've scratch created, you know, blood packed Pat, uh, Patterson, just to look at the, uh, the, as an opposing army, but then you also have all the ghosts, you have the, the blue bloods you have, um, and I'm never going to get the name of the tank regiment, right? Um, the that, yeah, those guys, um, uh, just everything. I mean, it, it just, it's phenomenal um and to see that you had dan abnett contribute to the book as well is just yeah as a fanboy amazing so uh do you want to talk about that process because i know you've been collecting gaunt's ghost for over 20 years now yeah yeah it's kind of crazy to uh to think that they've been around for that long uh yeah the the gaunt's ghosts uh the Volpone Blue Bloods and the Armenians that are in the book are actually models that I painted up uh, on commission uh, for uh, a guy that I met probably, I think we started on this project about seven or eight years ago. Uh, he really liked my original Gaunt's Ghost that mm-hmm. I'd done and that it'd be you know, a couple of white dwarves. Uh, and yeah, he had a lot of great ideas. I uh, My skills had improved and uh, my ideas had become refined. Uh, so yeah, we started out on the project. It's, so each year, I've probably done a couple of guys, um, maybe yeah, maybe twenty twenty guys a year, kind of average. Uh, so we're slowly building that up. Uh, we've got a good solid quants uh, force now. Um, actually, I'm working on a bunch of stuff for him at the moment, um, where 
sort of he said, I want some Fantine drop troopers. And I was like, I think the new Vansar models would be spectacular for that. Yes. So um, I painted up a bunch of Vansar models with Cadian helmets with green stuffed um, faceplates. So they, they have that elite drop trooper kind of look to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, he wanted to do some cargo sixes, the, the trucks that uh, Dan mentions a lot, the yes. transport around. So he wanted me to convert those out of the Goliath trucks for the Gene Steeler cult. So I've uh, sort of chopped those. I got four of them, chopped the back half off two of them and glued them onto the other two mm-hmm. uh, to extend them. Uh, so there's more, more and more stuff ha- sort of coming all the time for that. And actually when the, the uh, Adelan Jackals uh, bikes for uh, the Gene Steeler cult were shown, mm-hmm. uh, my, my client said, oh, yeah, Dave, those new jackals, they'll, they'll be fantastic for Tanith Outriders because um, there's a great sequence in one of the books, one of the earlier books. I think it might be Ghostmaker. Yes. Um, it talks about uh, ghosts sort of riding on motorcycles alongside a convoy. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, yep, perfect, done. <laughs> so awesome. I think there's, there'll be years and years and years of material um, for for building those armies. Uh, and yeah, you, you mentioned Dan, um, writing the forward, uh, mm-hmm. I, it's kind of funny. I, I, I don't really have any, uh, heroes as such people that I, I put up on pedestals. Um, but, uh, if I was to be a, like a fanboy about anything, it would be really be about Dan Abnett. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's great to, to talk to him, um, talk about different ideas, find out what he was thinking when he wrote certain, uh, passages. Uh, and Dan and I have been chatting on and off for the last sort of 18 years, 19 years mm-hmm. uh, um, about Gorn's ghosts and, and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, so I, I thought that it'd be fantastic to have him write the forward. So I sent him an email I said, Hey Dan, I'm writing this book. It's going to be about uh, sort of project management, how to finish your wargaming collections. And it's going to have a lot of stuff uh, in there from um, that is inspired by your books. Uh, would you be able to write the forward for me? And he said, well, Dave, you know, I have a policy uh, about Kickstarters. I, I don't promote them. I don't uh, talk about them. I don't get involved with them. And I was like, ah, oh, son of a. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was like, hang on. I don't need to tell anybody during the Kickstarter about it. Right. I don't need to that. It would just be really cool. It, so I said, Dan, I'm not going to mention this in the Kickstarter. I'm not going to tell people about it. I'm not going to use your name to promote the Kickstarter. Um, so you're completely safe. And he goes, oh, in that case, sure. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was like, because I wasn't expecting that. I opened the book and looked. One of the first things is the, you know, who's been it, who contributes to this book. And, of course, you have, you know, Ash Barker and uh, Mel's Miniatures and, you know, all those guys. And then, yep. you know, but first and foremost, Dan was like, oh, you have Dan in oh, yeah. here? And then, of course, the foreword is by Dan. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I wanted it to be a nice surprise. So It was. Uh, it was very welcome, too. It was great. <laughs> I have cool. one more Dan Abnett book on my shelf. Yep. All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, right on. So, so Dave, um, talk to us about, uh, I know that, well, I don't actually know. I have never done a Kickstarter. I have contributed to a few, and I've seen um, public outcry about many 
Um, very, very few go according to plan. Um, no one's ever really super happy with them. Um, and yet they are uh, very common in um, today's wargaming world. Now that you have done your own, um, how was the experience? Did you learn something? Um, would you do it again? Um, how to go? <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it is an amazing process. Uh, it's it is the the classic uh, roller coaster ride of emotions. Um, I was uh, blown away by the um, wonderful support. Uh, from the the wargaming community, uh, I I really had no idea how the book would be taken. Uh, it's a, a it's a strange book. It's a book that doesn't sort of hasn't previously existed in the in the wargaming space. Mm. Uh, so it was like, well, is is there a reason it hasn't been out there before? Is it because it's a dumb idea? Uh, so I really had no idea how it was going to go, but it went. Um, the campaign itself went wonderfully. Um, people were excited. People shared it. People talked to their friends about it and uh, talked it up. And it just went went crazy. Um, and I, it got to the point where I'd, I'd run out of stretch goals. And it was like, so uh, should I should I make something up? Should I say something? Like somebody was like, uh, why don't you offer um, a uh, ribbon bookmark in there for the next stretch goal? And I was like, I would really love to do that, but I don't know if my printer can do those. Yeah, <laughs> I'm guessing they probably can, but I don't want to promise it and then find out that I can't. Right. So, um, so I just have to say, I got no, no more stretch goals. But uh, thankfully, in the, the last few days, people didn't seem to mind. Um, so what I made sure I did was when I found out I could do it, I included a ribbon bookmark in the, the book. Nice. Like a <laughs> thanks everybody. Um, I know you weren't expecting this, and it's a tiny thing. Um, it's a small thing, but it was uh, it was nice to have. Um, and the slip cover is beautiful. I wasn't expecting the slip cover. I forgot that was part of it. And so yeah. when that arrived, yeah. I went, "Oh, this is very oh, how fancy!" Yeah, I think the um, the slip cover was one of the earlier stretch goals. It was, yeah. Uh, and it was uh, so we got sort of past that in the first couple of days, and. Uh, yeah, so I'm not surprised. Probably quite a few people might have forgotten about it. Yeah, but um, it's kind of the the funny thing is uh, you can talk about learning things. Um, I learned that uh, slipcovers are more expensive than I thought they were. Oh, really? Uh, and they take uh, a lot more time to make than I thought they did, and they uh, increase the weight of shipping considerably. <laughs> ah, <laughs> so. Um, it was, uh, but at the same time, I'm still super happy that uh, that that we were able to do it. Um, I think it, it it does it makes it the book that I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I when I pictured it, this was that was exactly how I felt it in my mind, kind of thing. So um, yeah, it was uh, the slipcase in particular was a was an interesting one. I'm not sure how many of those I'd do in the future um, because it does sort of add a lot of a lot of things to it and so it for for my my project it added added an extra month um, to the production process uh, which I wasn't predict I uh, was predicting mm-hmm. uh, I myself uh, 
because of the way that I had uh, that I ended up writing some of the sections and getting some of the sections edited. That unfortunately added about um, a month to my timeline as well. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the joys of international shipping. <laughs> uh, when, when you're shipping uh, pallets of books, uh, we had four pallets of books shipped to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, when it was finally, because of the delay with the slipcase, when it was finally able to leave the printer, uh, it had to suffer sort of through the um, Christmas holidays, the Christmas break, mm. which in uh, Europe is considerably longer than it is in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I was expecting U.S. time where, like, okay, nobody's going to be working on uh, December 25th, uh, but they'll be back to it on the 26th. Uh, mm-hmm. Not so much. It's like a, a week and a half where nobody drives trucks anywhere. So, um, yeah, it was all, all kind of interesting. It was kind of uh, frustrating at times because uh, there was a lot of stuff that was out of my control. Um, I could only continue to sort of express hope and um, thank people for their patience uh, going through that process. So in, in the end, delivery was about two and a half, two to three months behind what I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. But uh, thankfully, the, the, my backers are all absolutely fantastic, absolute champions. Uh, and um, people were like, Dave, I, I've got Kickstarter two months. That's nothing. <laughs> I've got Kickstarters that are, I've been waiting on for two years. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, thanks, for, thanks, everybody. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, lots of great things to be learned there. Uh, building a more robust timeline for any uh, future projects or, um, has been good to be able to sort of learn that aspect yeah. uh, and and see the the places where I was tripped up a little bit on the way um, so that I can avoid those yeah avoid those in the future. Well, I think it's I think it's important to talk about this book. Um, I know I've mentioned a few times that I haven't gotten through the whole book yet, and I've been in. I guess it's something that I've really enjoyed reading. Um, I know I, I oftentimes when I get maybe a Dan Abnett book, I'll open the cover and I will smash through the darn thing. And it's not to say that I don't enjoy it quite the opposite. I literally can't put the book down, but with this book, um, with the armies, legions and hordes, it's been my bedtime. It's on my night table. Sorry, my bedside table. And I read it, um, before bed every night. And it's, it's just, I'm enjoying the way it's laid out. I can read a chapter of it, look at the pictures, um, sort of digest what it's saying uh, and take it on bit by bit. Um, and I think I, I think the way you've written it has really lent itself to that. And also going back, I can easily go back to a section that I want to refer to um, when planning future projects because I know exactly where it is. Very clearly laid out. Um, and I think that that was really... Um, it is one of the things I really love about this book is just sort of how beautiful it is and how I can take my time to work my way through it. Um, so hats off for you for writing it that way. Well, um, no, thank you. I appreciate it. I think that's, that's probably more a, um, that's a result of the way that I've written things in the past. Uh, almost everything I've written in the past has been a magazine article, uh, whether it's, Wargames Illustrated or for uh, White Dwarf, 
Uh, it's been a war. It's been an, an article, six or eight pages. So the six or eight or ten page sections, uh, features uh, or featurettes on on each of the armies or projects was uh, it was very natural for me to write them that way. Where I think, uh, yeah, the idea that you sort of pick one of those to read um, each night is is great. It's as you said, it's self-contained. Uh, you can run through it. It's not not like you're having to remember where you left off, spend a little bit of time, like mental power, uh, remembering that and getting up to speed again, uh, and then sort of plowing through something that you that has a larger arc. So, yeah, it was. Um, I'm glad that that it's that's working out in that way. I, 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 I yeah. When I got to the uh, when I got to the section at the the front, the first um, 40, 50 pages, it didn't feel like that for me. So that was the scariest part for me to write uh, to have that that larger arc to present everything as separate but connected, all part of the process kind of thing. So uh, that was the scariest part for me. The the features on each army were a lot more fun to write, I think, and uh, that's probably that might come across in the the way that uh, people are reading it. Yeah, I guess I, it, it makes sense now that you mention it, that it is absolutely, uh, I mean, it's written with your experience with magazines, but I think the first 50 pages absolutely flow as well because you do chunk it out into easy, um, easy to find sections, as you say, motivation, planning, all of that. But then again, that is that, that discussion of celebration and how it's important to go back and to actually appreciate what you've done so far. And I just think that, I mean, just the way you've done it is, yeah, it's excellent. I'm, I sound like a fanboy, but I really am a fan of this book and the work you put into it. So uh, I'm sort of shameless in that regard. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. No worries. Now I did, I, so going over my notes, I think we've covered most of the things I wanted to talk about with this book, but I did want to talk about is how you do talk about terrain. Um, and the, in the book, you don't just provide pictures of the models that you've painted or the conversions you've done. You've actually put them in situ, so to speak. Um, and so you have, I mean, beautiful terrain throughout this. And part of the inspiration that I've gotten is, is sometimes by accident or intentional on your behalf, but not mentioned in the text, which is to get inspiration for how to build beautiful terrain or stuff that looks good to match the projects that you are creating. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, I've always, I've always enjoyed tinkering with terrain. Uh, when I was working with games workshop, I had the opportunity to, if I wanted to, I could sort of wander back into the terrain building area and help the guys out and learn a bit more about dry brushing with all like a four inch brush or, uh, working with guys like John Schaefer and how to get quick, coats of um of color layered onto a model uh, onto a terrain piece with spray cans uh so things like that uh but i never really built my own terrain collection mm -hmm. until i started playing dark age uh, by uh simon mm -hmm. uh, and that the potential for terrain uh in that is really exciting and the terrain plays an important really important role in the gaming so I wanted to take my vision of the world that it's on and, and start creating that in, in the terrain, which has now spawned uh, a much larger terrain collection. Um, 
for things like uh, Legends of the Fabled Realms, um, which is fairly sort of generic fantasy kind of terrain that I can now also use for uh, for other settings, which is cool. Uh, it's it's one of those things. When I originally I could have just said, "Oh, this is about painting armies." Uh, this book is about completing army projects, but it's really I wanted it to to be a little bit more. So, if you're working on a smaller skirmish game, uh, the terrain is such an important part of the gaming as well. Absolutely. That thinking about it in the same way as you think about the miniatures is, in, in my opinion, very important. Um, so if you can put together a cohesive collection that includes miniatures and terrain and gaming surface, be it a table that you build or mats that you buy, uh, connecting all of those things together is, um, is going to be much more satisfying. Yeah. And really helps to sell the game, especially if you're playing it in, in public. It's something that we've talked about on this podcast a lot over the last whenever long, um, I guess how long has cast ice has been going has been, um, how, especially if you're playing games that are maybe a little lesser known, maybe not the giant games, um, that everyone seems to be playing. If you really want other people to play your game, um, if you put a beautiful table together and it's not that hard to get a piece of cloth and throw it down, um, you know, you can get a, a good tan piece of cloth from most, you know, clothing or not clothing stores um craft stores for yep. five to ten bucks throw it down get a couple of hills uh, it doesn't take much to get decent terrain like just basic terrain on a tabletop um even if it's a you know something underneath that cloth just to break up the line of sight um there are so many wonderful walls and little buildings that you can get from companies these days that you can just add to your existing terrain bit by bit to play with um that once you put some even reasonably painted models down on some basic terrain on a tabletop, if you put any effort into it at all, it's going to pop on that tabletop and it'll look amazing compared to just throwing random stuff down on, you know, whatever surface happened to be there on the table, like a black tabletop or whatever else that happens to be there. Um, and that will really help bring more people to the game because people will stop and ask what it is and then you, you might inspire someone to pick it up yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It um, really, it just really sets the scene. I mean, that's a, I guess a, kind of a cliche, but, uh, but uh, Joey McGuire, uh, who wrote, uh, this is not a test mm -hmm. that for him, like, every time he runs a game at a convention, the, the table is, is spectacular it's uh, he always goes all out uh all of the photography that i've done with him uh for his his book and uh has always had that fantastic focus on great terrain uh and for him uh with a post-apocalyptic game whenever i think post-apocalyptic i think mad max and i think mm -hmm. dust it's no vegetation his vision for his post-apocalyptic world is, is quite different and it wasn't until I started taking photos of his terrain with him and asking him about it before I, I realized, Oh yeah, that's right. There's so much you can do. There's so many things that you can do. And, and by building a great terrain collection, you're sitting, you, you're creating your own stamp on whichever game you happen to be playing. So yeah, it's very, very cool. I, I'm really excited by the, 
all the all the terrain potential, and something like, for example, the uh, Gene Stiller Cult Army. Just to circle back to that, um, when that was released with the tectonic frag drill, mm-hmm. so it's like a huge terrain piece that uh, can that has effects that can transport models. It can set off an earthquake. It can do all sorts of cool stuff on the table. It's like that's that's the idea there. Is it's like creating uh, terrain pieces that, that impact the game as well is, uh, is very cool. Absolutely. Now, I know that you've been working on perhaps uh, another book, maybe not one of your own, but uh, one in conjunction with someone else about terrain. Is, uh, is that something that I'm getting right? Yes, uh, you are absolutely correct there. Um, it's kind of a funny thing. Uh, when... The, the idea behind the, the idea for my book started when I was laying out a rule book for uh, Brigade Games for their game um, Disposable Heroes, uh, the second edition uh, version of that. I'd taken the photos, I'd designed the, the page layout, and I was putting the words in and doing some editing. And it was like, actually, I'm really enjoying this. I'm enjoying all of these, bringing all of these elements together into something that somebody's going to enjoy. Mm. Uh, it, it was like, I, I should do this. Uh, I should make my own book, and but I can't write rules, so I'm going to do it about write about what you know. So, uh, I know about painting armies, so mm-hmm. painting armies. Sadly, that's kind of the the extent of my uh, knowledge. So uh, I had to look to other people <laughs> to write um, the book. And uh, Mel Bowes, the terrain shooter, uh, he and I know each other for about ten years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've been talking about toy soldiers and terrain and blogs and YouTube channels and Patreon and all sorts of things for, for about a decade now. And it was like, well, we haven't had a great sort of wargaming terrain book for a long time. I could talk to Mel about that. Yeah. So I had a chat with Mel. We sat down, we talked about it. We talked about the different possibilities. Um, I went over to the UK last year, um, went to his house, spent a couple of days talking about it, and decided that, yeah, um, having Mel write a book called Terrain Essentials, put all of his core knowledge into a some sort of repository, uh, like a written repository. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. Uh, Mel's got a fantastic ter- uh, YouTube channel called The Terrain Tutor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Really popular, loads of great stuff on there, uh, and it's it's going to be taking a lot of that information. Um, it's going to be a whole bunch of new builds uh, to explain the different techniques. Uh, we're going to talk about tools. We're going to talk about materials. Um, I think I, I joked with you uh, just before the show about uh, the Mel's the kind of guy that loves to experiment and isn't yes. happy just testing out one thing. Um, he wants to test out all the things. So. Um, I, it was a little bit of hyperbole, hyperbole when I said 57 different types of PVA glue, but, uh, there'd be seven, definitely seven or eight, I'm sure. Um, but we'll be able to put a lot of information. Um, the aim is definitely going to be to, to help people have a lot of fun, um, and feel much more confident about creating their own terrain collection. Definitely. So we're definitely, uh, excited about that. Um, now is that, take- is that going to be a Kickstarter? It is. Uh, it is. We've, I've discovered in in this process that that moving um, 
loads of dead trees around the planet is uh, is expensive. Yes. And the Kickstarter process really helps us uh, sort of get that money up up front. Mm-hmm. Essentially. Uh, and then uh, be able to print a few extra books to be able to put into distribution as well. So Mel's uh, sort of uh, subscriber base on YouTube is, isn't just uh, tabletop war gamers. Uh, it includes uh, railroad modelers, uh, crafters. It's people who just build dioramas for the fun of it for, for no other use than they enjoy making them mm-hmm. uh, so the book is going to cover a lot of different things it's not going to be super focused on uh, the wargaming aspect it's going to be a, it is going to include uh, elements where we talk about things like uh, that are super important for wargaming like durability and playability uh, but it's going to cover a lot of different things um really excited about it um we're going to take that to kickstarter i think we're launching that uh march 15th nice uh, i'm not sure when this episode will go out but uh march 15th is what we're, we're sort of looking for uh and yeah we're just really excited about the the potential for it um to get a, a book out there that uh has more covers more sort of stuff uh more information than uh perhaps some of the like the the old um making war games terrain books from gw mm-hmm. purely because we're going to be putting more pages into it yeah. uh but still not as um sort of laden down and with detail as something like mel's got a, a huge stack of uh war, of terrain books uh and the one that i always remember he's got one that's uh Called, I think it's called Making Deciduous Trees, oh. Oak Part Two. <laughs> so you can imagine what the rest of that series of books is like. No thanks. Uh, super detailed uh, if you want to do very specific diorama work, mm-hmm. but um, we'll be not going that that detailed. <laughs> we'll be keeping it uh, very accessible, very achievable uh, kind of work. But uh, yeah, that's 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 the next thing. I, I think um, I really enjoy, as I said, I really enjoy laying out books. I really enjoy creating books. Uh, so there's a possibility that I might become a publisher. <laughs> hey, look at that! Yeah, I, I, it's uh, it's exciting stuff. The the idea that um, trying trying a book, trying creating my own, uh, being able to make all the mistakes on my own book first. Mm-hmm is exciting and it, it means that uh, it's, it sort of makes it a little bit easier for the next next part of the process and uh, to talk to other potential authors to create their own books and um, bring things of, of value and quality to, to the wargaming world. Definitely. Well, if this is the mistake, I can't wait to see what isn't because, uh, as I said... <laughs> I have absolutely loved uh, reading this book, and I'm still loving reading this book, and I can't wait um, to see what the next one holds, Um, especially since, I mean, just getting some good basic skills um, and upskilling yourself with building terrain is, it's, I mean, it's a really underutilized aspect of the hobby that a lot of people, and I'll admit it, me included, um, often ignore. So I'm definitely looking forward to backing that Kickstarter and seeing what you all write down because, um, yeah, <laughs> if this book's anything to go by, the next one's going to be a ripper. 
it's going to be uh, it's going to be very exciting. And the the cool thing about having two of us working on it, so uh, I'm going to be working on the the camp, the Kickstarter campaign aspect, the publishing aspect, uh, production aspect, shipping, and that sort of thing, uh, as well as the layout. Mel's focusing on the the writing and the photography. Then uh, it's it's splitting the workload um, is one of the things that we're doing there, so that we can we can work harder. We can we can make sure that we've got the right timelines in place uh, that we don't uh, don't overrun by by much if we do it all, uh, and um, support each other along the way, uh, kind of thing. Encourage each other. Um, get excited together about um, about the project as it evolves. So I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty stoked. I'm I'm really excited about it uh, about it all. Nice. Well, when that podcast goes, oh, sorry, when that Kickstarter goes live, I will mention that on this podcast, and I will be posting it through the Facebook page, um, a link just so folks can find it in case you don't normally check the Kickstarter page. Um, I know yep. I'll be excited when it goes live. So. Uh, Yep, I'm looking forward to passing that info on, man. It should be cool. Yeah, the book's uh, the book's going to be called Terrain Essentials, uh, and and I think it's it's one of those ones where if it does well, uh, we'll be able to come back and go into some much more advanced um, books. Not as advanced as uh, Deciduous Trees <laughs> Oaks Part Two, uh, but we could do a do a whole book on uh, grasses, hedges, trees, um, alien plant life, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, we could do a whole book on, uh, death world. So we can do it like on, on lava and ice planets and, uh, all sorts of stuff there. Um, so I think there's lots of, lots of possibilities for the future. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to see how this goes and, uh, yeah, to be able to sort of turn this into a, like a huge library of books. Definitely. Well, that's awesome, man. I can't wait to see it. Uh, well, Dave, I, I'm sad to say our time is just about up brother, but, it is, as always, a complete pleasure to speak with you and to have you on the show. Thank you again for coming on. Cool. No, no worries. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, just want to thank everybody uh, who, who listens, who backed armies and legions and hordes, and uh, hope to see you all again for Terrain Essentials. That's right. Be great. And, and if you have not picked up, have picked up the book Armies, Legions, and Hordes, and you want to pick it up, um, if you missed out, you absolutely can get it. I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast uh, often buy things directly through Warlord Games, um, being bolt-action fans or fans of Warlord's other great games. Um, hey, this is on their website. Go get it, guys. I, it sure is, is. I highly recommend it. It's, it's there right now. <laughs> yeah. so. Get on there. Right on. Well, thank you very much again, Dave. Um, and guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we've had I've had quite a few people messaging me directly through the Cast Ice Facebook page recently, just you know, giving some really cool feedback. Um, I do appreciate when people take the time to a listen to this show. Um, this is my hobby. Uh, I don't uh, I don't do this for a profession. Uh, and I just I love it when people uh, both enjoy the content that I'm putting out or have uh, suggestions um, for the future. So thank you to everyone who's been contributing. Um, there's a lot in the pipe for the next couple months. Uh, a lot of awesome listener contributions that will be um, put on the show. Uh, a lot of games that people have been suggesting. Uh, have quite a few people asking for specific projects that I will be speaking to the authors of slash um, people who are. I guess, major contributors uh, online. 
So it should be a good ride. Um, again, I am not going to ignore Bolt Action long term, though. Um, we have a very special couple of episodes coming up talking about future and past events and maybe get into a little unit analysis. I know a lot of people have been requesting that. Um, but we're also going to continue to cover fun and new games and other little side projects and things that interest me and the people we have on the show. So, again, thank you for listening. Uh, your time is appreciated. So ladies and gentlemen, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages stay cold. But more than anything else, I hope you are having fun. Good night. And that's it.